Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Devin. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. So we're going to start at the beginning. Okay. That very first question that we ask everybody, who are you? Okay. I am a yoga teacher. I am a writer. I'm a traveler. What do you write? I didn't know you were a writer. Yeah. Um, write? I've been writing forever. I've been writing since I was seven years old. Oh, um, my. I write poetry. I write creative <clears throat> nonfiction. I write prose. That's what I went to school for. So I write a little bit of everything. Do you yeah. put your writing out in the world? Yes, I was. Is that something you want people to be able to find? It would be hard to find. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working for a couple magazines. Um, when I was living abroad, I was doing a lot of freelance writing, mm -hmm. so a lot of ghost writing where my name isn't necessarily associated, it, but it's mine. Um, associated, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've been published a couple times, but nothing major. Yes. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Is that something you want to do? That's yes. a part of where your head that's is. is more the, writing. That's the picture, like the big picture idea. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to get there yet, but I mean, I'm always writing. It's always been a part of my life. It will continue to be. Um, I keep telling myself this story of needing to learn more before I can be a writer. Yeah. Um, there but, is that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> For all of us. It doesn't even matter if it's about writing. For sure. Yeah. Like you feel like you have to gain this kind of secret experience or something. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on a project, you know, I'm working on a bigger kind of novel. Um, but I think it's going to take some time. I really Circle do. a mountain a few times. Yeah. And then we'll climb it. Yeah, exactly. So yoga teacher, writer, uh -huh. traveler. Yeah, I think that uh, sums it up. Best. Okay, good. When right you now, at least. When you look at your life mm -hmm. and you consider the spectrum from really ordinary to extraordinary, where would you plot your life on the spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary? I would say I'm, I'm 25 and 
for being 25, I would say extraordinary. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. How I come? Mean, I have ordinary moments. Like, I have days that feel painfully mundane, you know? But for the most part, I think I've had a lot of really special experiences, you know? I mean, I have a lot of reasons why. But I think there are a lot of aspects to approach this question from. But I think that the people in my life make it extraordinary. Um, and and just the experiences, I guess, is really the best way to put it. The, the experiences, for sure. But there's a lot of space in between them. I think it's like when you take a step back and you're asked a question like this. Yeah. Um, you all of a sudden find this new appreciation for ordinary things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big question, I think. and it's a, It is supposed to be a big question. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but it's, it's a great one because, I mean, I might think to myself on an average day that my life is super ordinary. But when you get that moment to step outside, like in this scenario, then you get that space to actually look at your life from the outside and think. And then everything feels special, you know. So, yeah, I would say extraordinary. For sure. How do you define success? I think it is a highly subjective concept, meaning um, everyone's version of success is different. Yeah. Right? So for me, I define success right now, um, I think feeling fulfilled would be successful. I don't I don't attach it to anything monetary, right? I think it's that's one way to look at things, but I think success is is that sensation of fulfillment of um of knowing that you are where you need to be regardless of what that looks like, you know? It's it's that feeling of like waking up in the morning and not um having a lot of what ifs in your head, you know, instead it's that, that feeling of like, I've done this and I'm doing this or I'm working towards that, right? It's this kind of like ever changing concept of just, I'm on my path and that's the best I can do. I'm working it. Ups and downs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be pretty, but for me, success is just knowing that I'm doing it. I'm breathing through it. I'm here. You know, it's simple. I love that you said, and you said it kind of emphatically, you said, right now, I define success. I don't know if you heard yourself do that. But I like it because it sort of implies that maybe the definition of success evolves with us. For sure. Yes. I mean, I think um, that's how it is for a lot of things, right? That's what I'm learning, at least, is that what I say for myself today is definitely probably, well, I mean, there's a good chance it's not going to be the same thing I'll say for myself in three or four years. Yeah. I would think, I mean, that's my best guess. Yeah. yeah. I think it definitely evolves as we grow and depending on the circumstances that we're in, that's important to remember, but it can be this really taunting thing if we're not careful about the way we kind of approach success, you know? I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So last question is sort of set up our springboard for today. Yes. Is what would you say are three events, experiences, themes over the course of your life that you think have most shaped who you are or have most kind of guided, driven your path? Sure. Okay. I think the first one that stands out in my mind is my family. Um, I have a very... Amazing, uh, interesting, I think pretty unique family. Um, my immediate family, right? So my parents, step parents, siblings. Um, they're really, we're tight. We're so close and um, we've been through a lot together. And I think that I've really gotten to, this just shaped me. It's taught me a lot so far about what's important. Um, what I'm seeking, like what support and love feel like, I think. Um, so there's one. Two, see, remind me, it's experiences. Yeah, it could be experiences, uh, th themes, like I would say family is a theme. So yeah. Okay, for sure. Anything that you think stands out as like, these are three sort of pivotal 
Okay. Pivotal things in my life. So family one. Two is definitely travel. Um, I started traveling three years ago. Uh, I just, I had graduated from school and I wanted to go out and be a young, amazing writer. And, and I realized that I, I did not know anything. No, I didn't. <laughs> and it's, 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 it was, it was a sad realization. It can be painful. It was for sure. Yeah. Mostly on my ego, but it was good for me. Um, so I, so I traveled, um, I took some, some really great trips and that was important for me. I think, of course, it's important to go out and see the world and, um, be exposed to different ways, cultures, etc. But a lot of it is just learning how to put yourself in extremely uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Travel will challenge you, won't it? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about getting out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's magic and sometimes sure. it's hell. For sure. There are <laughs> yeah. a lot of hellish moments involved in travel that yeah. don't get posted on no. social media. <laughs> no. You know, it was like I I just I was I graduated and I was like, All right, screw it, I gotta travel. I have to get out of here and I made like a very spontaneous decision because I could do that sometimes. It's kind of part of my personality, but I just made a spontaneous decision to and I'd never been anywhere. I mean I went to Mexico, but whatever so um i made a spontaneous decision to go to africa and everyone's like why africa that's crazy because it's africa well yeah yeah I mean, that was what i was i mean that's for sure a part of it but everyone was saying like go to italy go to london and and why are you going to africa and i was just like well because it's legitimately the last place on earth i could ever see myself going you know which kind of broke the ice for the travel thing for yeah. me and there's a lot of places I have to see still, but okay. So two is travel. Gotcha. And then three is yoga for sure. So of family travel and yoga, which are you going to teach from today? Which are you going to tell us about? Yoga. Okay. <laughs> Probably. For okay. sure. Definitely. Uh, okay. <laughs> yoga. All right. So tell us. question for sure. Tell us the story of yoga. How did you get started with yoga? What was your process mm-hmm. of kind of being drawn to it? Yeah, it occurred to me, thinking about this experience, talking with you, and that I've never really thought about my journey from the beginning. You know, I've always thought about my yoga journey in little pieces and parts and stuff. But so this will be new, because yeah, you're going to string you know, it all together today. It's pretty new. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's brand cool. new. Cool. So it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. We'll see how it comes together. But yeah, um... I guess just to start from the beginning is that I, I I started doing... I remember the first time I did yoga, I was nine years wow. old. Wow. Yeah. Who does crazy. yoga when they're nine? Yeah. How did you get crazy. exposed to yoga as a nine-year-old? Well, my parents got divorced when I was nine. Um, and the way that we had the um, kind of split between mom and dad time was... Uh, I can't actually... I mean, it was... It was even, and I didn't go too long without seeing a parent, but I, I was missing my mom a lot, so it became this, when I was in the middle of a stretch of time with my dad, my mom would take me to yoga, and cool. it was super cool. It was like very gentle, hatha yoga, and um, I remember it pretty vividly, you know, and it just, it was, it was great. I mean, I remember going, and not only, I mean, mostly I was there to spend time with my mom, yeah, uh, but then I little did you my, know, yeah, what was, was being taste. born for sure. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about, but it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, my whole family, like my, my my parents are very, I don't know, alternative in a way, um, in the things that they value and think about, and um, so yeah, yoga. I started when I was nine, but I didn't have a practice or anything. It was just occasional, and then um, I would practice kind of through my teens with my mom uh-huh. like there were gaps for sure you know so 13 14 15 I was I was practicing with my mom and sometimes going on my own uh, and then I went through a stubborn phase where my dad had started yoga and my mom was doing yoga and I was in a tough spot of life for sure um yeah it's probably worth going into so when I was a tough spot of life yeah because yeah. it makes a lot of sense okay let's hear um Hopefully, it's making sense the way that I'm getting to it. But um, 
yeah, so I stopped doing yoga when I was like 16 years old. And from 16, um, from 16 to 20 ish, I, <laughs> yeah, I had a really serious eating disorder. Hmm. So, um, that wasn't, it wasn't something that initially I've connected with yoga. Like it's not, it's all back up. Okay. It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to tell the story if I've never told it before. Yeah, but, that's okay. Um, Take your time. Yeah. So I had, when I was 15, I just, I started some really bad habits, um, with an eating disorder, right? I was, um, doing a lot of just strange behavior with eating and I know it was a coping mechanism and it was a lot of different things. Um, but it stuck and it became kind of a, just became whatever I, it was what I needed, I guess, to get through some life stuff, you know? So I had this eating disorder. I went to college with it. Um, I was bulimic, right? Um, and, and I was really stubborn about yoga and my dad was pressuring me to do it. And my mom was pressuring me to do it just because to get back to yoga. Yeah. They love it. And they were thinking, well, you should, you know, you should do this. You should try it again. It's so good for you. It feels so good. But just because they were telling me to do it and being the age I was, I didn't want to do it. You yeah. Know? So did they know you were struggling? Uh, no. Okay. Not at the time. Um, so they didn't find out until I was probably 18. So 18 was kind of a breaking point for me because the disorder, I just reached this point where I couldn't handle it anymore. And I've always been really self-aware. So luckily I just remember one day being like, all right, this is way too much for me to carry on my own. I got to tell someone. So I told my mom and that was kind of like a turning point. You know, Mm -hmm. I told my mom, I, you know, accepted my dad's request to go start going to yoga. I was in Boulder at the time. So, you know, it's kind of funny because everything from that point on really just started changing pretty quickly. Told my parents that I had an eating disorder. Started going to yoga. I've had a practice ever since, like a very, from very... From 18. Yeah. Yeah. Very regular practice, you know, five, six days a week. Um, and... Yeah. That was really what happened as far as how I fell in love with yoga, um, where it became a massive part of my life. Um, it was, it was uh, definitely, it definitely, I would say even though I started doing yoga when I was eight or nine years old, it started, my real practice of yoga started. About 18. About 18. Yeah. I do personally think that everyone has something right mm-hmm. and sometimes people have two things or three things but everyone has something that they grapple with and i think for me my parents we always my family always really had a very healthy kind of lifestyle i mean my parents were always you know working out and encouraging healthy eating habits and really it was ideal you know i mean i don't think that i was raised in an environment that would promote like anything other than health yeah but because of that when i started kind of rebelling and i was going through you know a lot of emotions at the time just being 15 and um struggling with you know things that 15 year old girls struggle with which are real things you Mm -hmm. know and they are deep and complex and layered so I think I was instead of dealing with them and saying you know asking for help I just decided that the best way you know it's it's kind of how it happens sometimes but I just thought the best way to control it was you know to control something else so I controlled um, my eating. So it started with a lot of... The best way to control those feelings was to control correct. eating. Okay. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, so, I just wanted to make sure I was with you. Yeah, you got it. So it was like I was feeling like maybe I couldn't... Um, I was feeling like I couldn't deal with what I was going through. I couldn't control the magnitude of feelings, I think, going on. Um, so I, so I turned to eating, like to controlling my eating instead. And, 
And it, it, well, I'm so sorry. Like questions just keep popping. It's fine. Ask them. It's is good. is the magnitude of feelings rooted mostly in things teenage girls struggle with in terms of just being an adolescent? There wasn't Were anything. There, there wasn't anything other than for me, the eating disorder was a slow process, I think. Like a slow progression? Yes. I think that as I was growing up, I was looking for stability. I was looking for consistency, which was not a part of my life in this crazy society that we live in. Mm -hmm. It's not a part of my, wasn't a part of my family, not even a little bit, which is fine. I'm grateful for it now, but it was hard at the time. There wasn't a lot of stability um, that I would see would see um, in some of my friends' families, for example. And of course, everything's different from the outside. But so I think it was gradually. I was really just looking for something to hold on to, and things got twisted. You know, things got really twisted when I was like 15 or 16, and not for any kind of specific reason other than um, things being hard. It's a complicated time of life. Really challenging and not having a lot of clarity. You know, when you're that age, you just don't feel like anyone understands and you don't feel um, like you can reach out. It's really hard to feel like you can connect, I think, to anything, Mm -hmm. truly. Because you're also in this haze of hormones, etc., growth, all that stuff. So it's a haze, generally speaking. So I think in that haze which was pretty, pretty average, you know, that was what I held on to. And now I understand the issue to be a little, a little bigger than that. Like, I think it makes sense that my demon, so to speak, would be with my physical body, right? Because my body now is my, not my body, but my life now is very physical. I teach yoga. I do yoga every single day. Now I'm starting to realize, okay, I am really interested in this. So I'm looking backwards thinking, well, I'm really grateful in a weird way that I had to deal with those with that eating disorder because it helped me learn about my body and my relation to it, my relationship to it in an entirely different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, but connect those dots for us. Okay. So I think, you know, I got to a point where I was really desperate, like I mentioned before, with the with eating disorder, it was no longer something I could hold on to. How did you know? How well, did you know it was too big? Like, what was happening for you? I couldn't think about anything else. I was only thinking about food, and I was only thinking about getting smaller. You know, and I, I just wanted to get smaller, 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 and I wasn't going to be happy, but it was a never-ending process. And I was in school, and I was trying to find myself, and I couldn't think about anything other than these food habits that I had created, you know? And it's so weird, right? It's like, you know, like you said, it's not like it was born by some huge trauma. It was just this thing. It was like a, um, you know, it just it just grew out of control before I even could realize it. So um, I guess I knew it was out of control because I had no space in my mind for anything anymore. else. So if anything, my cup was already full, you know, and so any additional drops and I was overflowing. So I was overflowing all the time. And also I was getting like all these terrible physical symptoms, you know, I was basically throwing up two to three times a day, mm-hmm. every meal, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it felt really bad, and I was getting these, like, broken blood vessels around my eyes, and I was looking at myself thinking, I just was, dis- I was completely disengaged, and like I said before, I've always just been pretty aware, so I'm lucky that way. I'm lucky that I was able to think, okay, yeah. You're almost able to look at yourself and be like, I should do something. And And not a lot of people can do that. And like I said, I think I'm really lucky. I think my parents raised me to be super self-aware. And so I was. I was just like, all right, this is ridiculous, you know. And I was kind of mean to myself about it for a while. So what happened at that point was I called my mom, whatever, talked to my dad. Then I went into therapy, which was terrible thing <laughs> it was yeah what was I terrible about it really i i don't know if it was the people i worked with um 
or what it was necessarily, but for me, it was not doing the job. It was just not, it was, the people were trying to dig up issues that weren't really, that didn't feel relevant to me. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I knew more about my own eating disorder than these people were going to try. And maybe that's <laughs> on me, <laughs> but I was just thinking, no, like, I. I think there's some value to what you're saying. I mean, as a therapist, <laughs> yeah, it's probably you know, you. yeah, I have a huge bias toward listening to what the client has to say <laughs> about whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah, and so if you weren't feeling heard, no wonder it felt like a disaster. Like if you're not going to listen to me, we have nowhere to start mm-hmm. from. The most valuable part was I was meeting with a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. That was part of the program. I had a nutritionist and I had a therapist. And the therapist just wanted to talk about family stuff, which I had already, you know, I was I was sort of at peace with it, even though it was still something that needed to be solved. I was sort of at peace with it. The nutritionist was was super helpful, unbelievably so, because she basically was just she taught me she taught me how to how to be healthy, which is not something that we're taught in this culture at all. Because, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you asking me, what is success? Well, what is health? Well, it's different for everybody. And the process is figuring out how you relate to the health of, you know, yourself. And so she she taught me basically really fundamental eating habits and real, like how to establish a relationship um, to food and and mental health really so she helped me a ton but I kind of I I just I kind of stopped going it's like I dropped out of therapy and uh, the reason for that was because I started going to yoga and yoga became the therapy it still is (laughs) (laughs) it's very rigid regular therapy um yeah I started practicing every single day and I never looked back and I I mean of course it's been some ups and downs as far as the eating disorder goes but that's a part of my life I can safely say is in my past doesn't mean that I'm not going to have red flags that come up when life gets stressful the you know when life gets stressful the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to want to skip a meal because of course a lot of people with bulimia it starts with anorexia but your physical body starts um driving you to binge eat Mm -hmm. sure like it's it's really a very strange thing. You know, I just wanted to stop eating, but my body was like, nope, that's not how this is going to work. You have to go eat everything in the kitchen, and then you're going to feel terrible about it. And so it, we'll get rid of it. Right. Yeah. So it was just a really nasty, you know, unfortunate process. And I mean that in the nicest of ways to myself, but it was. And so I have red flags, and I know them extremely well. So if something gets stressful, red flag pops up, and I'm like, okay, let's pay extra attention to this. Let's make sure I can kind of sail through it. But yeah, I mean, yoga became yoga became the therapy. How do you sail when there's a red flag? What do you do? What's your intervention for yourself? Um, yoga. I mean, it's just everything is yoga <laughs> for me, and. I think when things get hard, you know, I've had some really challenging times in the last couple of years, for example, and when I feel like the first thing I want to control is my body, if I start saying things, I, if I just start listening, I guess is the best thing to do for me, is I start listening to what's going on in my head. Like, what voices am I hearing that don't sound like Devin, that don't sound like who I really am, you know? and. It's kind of easy to tell because it's the mean ones and it's the ones that are telling me to do things that I just don't want to do. It's not in my interest, you know, so I start hearing them and then I'm like, okay, I can sift out these thoughts now, right? And that's really what yoga has taught me to do. I mean, amongst a thousand other things. This is me and that's not me. Right. And not me gets rejected. Precisely. So the red flags pop up. I sift through the voices. I push them aside. I practice patience, I practice yoga, I breathe, you know, and then finally it's like smooth sailing. It takes time, of course, you know, and it's not super easy, but everyone sort of has their thing that they have to deal with. It's, I don't, I don't think it's ever something that's going to be off my plate completely. Don't always pay attention to it. Yeah, I have to, for sure. In the same way, I think that an alcoholic always has to be careful 
of alcohol, you know? Yeah. It's so hard when it's food because food is fuel. Yeah, you can't go cold turkey yeah. on it. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> no, that makes it very, very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ultimately a good thing, though, because it forces you... To deal with it. And to figure out. It forces you to figure out what you need, what's good for you, you know? So you said um, you were talking about a second ago about learning other things from yoga. Mm-hmm. Besides having it like as your coping tool for when red flags pop up, yeah. Uh, what are some of the other things you feel like you have learned from yoga? What else have you taken from yoga? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's always teaching a new thing. I think it's 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 kind of a paradox because it's it teaches one major truth and then it teaches you something new every day. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think in the big ways, the biggest things that yoga has taught me, for sure it's solidified any sense of self-awareness that I started with, right? It, it teaches self-awareness. It teaches awareness in general, um, which I think is the root of it, really, for me. I mean, it's it can be different for everybody, but... It's, it taught me, it teaches me awareness and mindfulness and paying attention. All of those things kind of relate to each other. Yeah, they overlap. But it also teaches me things like strength and, you know, the dualities of things, right? The fact that there is softness and vulnerability in strength. And um, it's taught me compassion, you know, a lot of... A lot of compassion for others and for myself. Um, man, I mean, the list would go on forever, right? Because it's like, no matter what I'm going through in life, there's there's the situation, and then there's me going to yoga during the situation, and then there's the lesson, you know? And it, it just keeps coming keeps together, keeps changing. going around. It's pretty amazing, yeah. It's pretty amazing stuff. How did you get into teaching? What took you from your practice to wanting to be a guide for other people with yoga. Yeah. Um, I, I did teacher training five years ago. Um, and I, the reason I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even want to be a teacher when I stepped into teacher training. I just wanted to deepen my practice. I just wanted to learn more about yoga philosophy because it's something I'm really interested in. I wanted to understand anatomy better so I could navigate my practice um, with more understanding. So I started teacher training with that in mind. And I, I'm, I'm less now, but back then I was extremely introverted and shy. I mean, very, lots of social anxiety. So getting up and teaching and fumbling my way through yoga class was so pretty scary. Hard. The fear was pretty intense, you know? Um, but I, it was a three-month program, and I just kind of, things just started changing for me. I can't say that the training itself was, you know, what changed. It was it was an amazing program, whatever, but what was really happening was just what was meant to happen, you know, which was me taking it to the next level, realizing maybe I do want to be a teacher, and then as soon as I asked that question, the rest just sort of fell into place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was It was pretty crazy, but I remember... In teacher training, I had some pretty awesome coaches around me. And I did learn some good lessons there, you know? Like, I I just remember that just being this place for me to realize that this was going to be much bigger in my life than I thought. Um, And at first, I was was really doubting that. Um, I was really doubting my ability to, to... to provide value in a yoga studio and um, my coaches encouraged me a lot and I kind of just started teaching slowly but surely and in a very strange way I just it's not the most exciting story other than it just happened really fast you know I just I things just happened the way they needed to and I ended up where I am now teaching a lot of classes and 
but it's really real for you. Mm-hmm. It's it's so authentic. It's very sure. it's very it comes from a very genuine place. Your teaching comes from a very genuine place, I think. And so it puts a different vibration into the room. I hope so. Yeah, I think I think in ways I I'm not quite sure what my purpose is as a yoga teacher in the world, but I know that there is one, right? It's funny because I spent, let's see, 20 20 years almost um, wanting to just be a writer, and that was my destiny, and that was my fate, and I always wanted to be it. Um, But it's really not looking like that's (laughs) going to happen. (laughs) Maybe, eventually, but... Right now, it's looking like I'm going to be a yoga teacher, which is crazy. Maybe you need to write about yoga. For sure. I'm hoping that those topics bridge. Yeah. For now, I'm, I have a really hard time writing about it for some reason. I don't know. It's bizarre. But um, I think I'm just going to be a yoga teacher, which is something else that's crazy to think about, by the way, in this culture, you know, where people still roll their eyes at yoga all the time when they hear it, you know. there's a. I mean, uh, certainly people are catching on to it. But I know what you mean, though. There is still, it's not, even though there's so much more acceptance for yoga than there was whenever that time in the past was, Mm -hmm. it's, I I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's not. But there are some people who wouldn't attach a lot of value to that. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Which is, I mean, it continues to surprise me because I think our world is changing in a lot of positive ways, you know, as far as this concept of success, this concept of, you know, purpose and journeys. And like, I think it's becoming more accepted, right? I think a lot of the millennials, it just, it's just our, you know, it's, it's the way we think. So I think there's a lot of appreciation for me going out there and saying, yeah, I just, I want to be a yoga teacher, you know, but still it's, I do get surprised that there's, there's so much eye rolling going on about it but I don't really I mean I don't care obviously it's just an interesting uh trend or trait of our culture to notice right so for any yogis who are listening (laughs) hopefully some yeah (laughs) what's your favorite pose I think it's so hard to answer (laughs) but I I mean it it does change for sure um I would say probably half pigeon. Really? Yeah, for sure. Okay, how come now? How now? I think it has to be half pigeon. Of course, something is going to occur to me later, but right now it's half pigeon. (laughs) In this moment, that's fine. Because it is such a surrender pose, right? It's so nurturing, it's grounding, it's deep. You know, I mean, it hurts in a way that's really awesome. I mean, it's not painful, but it's it's uncomfortable in the best kind of way. You know, it's like super symbolic yoga pose. It's just this awesome opportunity. It's funny, actually. It's appropriate that I said half pigeon today because I've been thinking this week. I've just had a the last week or so. I've had a, it's just been really busy and I've been teaching a lot. And so every time I get to my mat, it's it's, you know, a lot of effort to get my energy up to have my own practice yes so I was thinking so much this week I need half pigeon I need half pigeon and the way it always happens is I find myself in a class where the teacher's like gonna make us hold half pigeon for five minutes it's so funny because it always works out that way right you just stumble into the classes where that you need so bizarre but yeah so I'm I was I was loving it in pigeon you know I crave it I think I crave the release um we store so much crap in our hips you know physically emotionally um so it's like that chance to really clear it out um and it feels good I mean it feels so good (laughs) that's why it's my favorite (laughs) there's plenty of things that you say feel good and I disagree (laughs) probably (laughs) you'll say this feels so good and I'm like you're full of crap damn it (laughs) I know and I know that's what you guys are thinking too (laughs) What about a pose that you hate? Is there a pose that you hate right now? Yeah. I hate 
I hate lunges. Mm-hmm. I hate lunges because any kind of lunge, like low lunge, crescent lunge, variations thereof, um, they're super uncomfortable for my hips because, um, ironically, when I open my hips that way, there's a lot of pain there. For some reason, I'm I'm just I have an injury. I don't mm. know what it is. It's a big question mark. I'm trying to figure it out. Whatever, but it, it makes it really uncomfortable. Long story short, and I have a hard time. I get frustrated with my body. Like, just go there, just do it. Like, go deeper, and I can't. It really, it's painful. Um, and that makes you have this new page. Like, you have to be patient in ways that you just really don't want to be, which is so much of yoga anyways. But for me, it's these poses really bring it out, you know, because they hurt, and I have to be patient. And I also, I can't go to the depth that I want to go. Yeah. Know? Which is often relevant on so the mat, right? Maddening. It is. It, it really is. And it's like it's it's always going to be a practice, you know, because my ability to deal with that kind of scenario it just depends on the day. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, and you know, so much of the practice itself translates to life. That's one of the things I think I've found so valuable in yoga is that. You just never arrive, and what a metaphor, because especially in our culture and our society, it's so much about getting there, wherever there is, mm-hmm. you know, totally. to that relationship, to that status, to that financial security, to that job, wherever sure. there is. And with yoga, you're just never there, because mm-hmm. even if you get there, you can hold it longer. <laughs> totally. You know, there's just never a finish line to cross. And in some ways, for someone like me, who really likes to check things off their mm-hmm. list, you know, that's a challenge to accept, but it's a good kind of beauty that it will never be done. Right. Yeah, I mean, you'll never be there because in yoga, you're always here. You know, it's always now. And I think that feeling of being completely immersed in this moment and then the next and just being there and fully present is, you know, it's it's so beautiful. It's just so freeing. And a lot of stuff happens in that one moment, you know, because you're right, you know, you're, you're not ever going to arrive anywhere. So once you let go of that expectation, which is only natural to have, you just are here. And then once you decide and you accept, you give yourself permission to be like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to work with this, with this now thing. And then a lot of stuff gets done. You know, you have this digging, this excavating that goes on Mm -hmm. where you just start to connect, you know. That's where the yoga happens. It's like yoga means to yoke right or union and I like that definition me too I think it's it makes a lot of sense it's that like hitching on to to something and uh, that's you know that's the the art of the practice and it's I think what I'm what I'm seeing so far <laughs> uh, in my teaching career is um, is that this time, this moment that we're talking about, you know, it's so, um, I think it gives people of all kinds and backgrounds this chance to kind of, what's the word, disarm themselves, you know? They feel light, they feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you just feel this, like, freedom, you know, this lightness, And I think that, especially with the way our world is, which for better or for worse, it just is what it is, being in the yoga studio gives you that break. So I think that has a lot, I mean, there's a lot of reasons going into why yoga is taking off and growing and everything, but a lot of it is as simple as you have that moment to just connect or unite with yourself, you know, and it's this moment of realizing all this stuff that we spend our days talking about and doing, it doesn't really matter because I mean, it's it so matters, much noise. Yeah, totally. It's so much noise. No, I totally agree. I think 
coming into the studio for our practice is like sometimes the only time that I'm not thinking about or talking about something in front of me or something behind me. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it hard for you too? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's like, it's hard for me too, you know, it's that, it's just that ability to stay in the moment. You, your mind is so powerful yeah. and busy for sure. But I think that's one of the things that's so awesome about, about the practice. So if, so I want to make sure that we got this like timeline that we sort of linked some of these, these beads about yoga together. Yeah. So you started when you were nine and it was sort of on and off mm-hmm. and then kind of went through a total rebellion around 15, 16. Correct. Yeah. And at 18, there was this breaking point around your eating disorder that brought you back to your yoga practice. Yep. And you've been really faithful to it ever since. Oh yeah. And when you were 20 is when you did teacher training-ish? 20, yeah, 20. She's been teaching for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Where's your Where's your yoga going to take you? I have no idea. Um, and you say that with a smile on your face. <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah. A smile on your face really and a twinkle in your know. eye. I really don't know. I wish I knew. You know, it's funny. I've, I've been spending a lot of time lately trying to plot out my future and what I want to do and all that futury stuff. Um, and it's made me have these conversations in my head and of about yoga and what what the heck I'm going to do with it because it's amazing like I could sit around and teach yoga forever you know and if that's what it's meant to be that's great um it's only natural I think sometimes for us to want to know where it's going to go oh, right oh sure yeah so I've been thinking a lot about that and I think for me there are things happening for me as a teacher slowly but surely and um, I'd like to think that I'm just going to kind of follow the breadcrumbs because it's not like I'm, I'm resigning or, you know, not putting forth effort. I am actually putting forth a lot of effort. It's just that I don't know where to throw the effort. It's like I'm trying to, um, figure out what the picture or the puzzle is going to be, right? But I don't have all the pieces yet. Yeah. So I'm just... So I keep having these moments, thankfully, after I teach, where I'll teach a class where it feels like it's just feels like good stuff, you know? The room just feels awesome, and I feel this energy or whatever you want to call it. I just feel, I feel a lot of goodness. And then I feel extremely calm inside, and I just have been thinking. And it doesn't happen every class, but every, every now and then I've been having these moments after a class, and it's this calm of, it's okay. You're exactly where you need to be. You're going to get there, wherever there is. Yeah, I was just going to say. Right. Big question marks around there. Because I could see it going a lot of different ways. I mean, I could see myself being, you know, I could see myself leading retreats. Mm-hmm. I would love to travel and teach workshops. Mm-hmm. I intend to. I would like to. But then I could also see myself going deeper into yoga therapy and mm-hmm. teaching, you know, for eating disorders I have a soft spot in my heart for different mental disorders and such uh so yeah I could see myself getting you know licensed as a yoga therapist I'm just not sure I have some I have I'm curious I don't really want to know the answers of course I say this all now but when I go home at night I like will sit there (laughs) just tying my brain into knots like just figure it out make a plan what's next yeah, and I it's funny. So it's not always this laid back. <laughs> I swear. I drive myself crazy, honestly. I really do. Because we all do in ways. So if you took a step back and you were holding yoga in your hands and sort mm-hmm. of showing it to everybody and being like, you guys, all I know about yoga is... Like, what if you had to punctuate the message somehow or distill mm-hmm. it down... I would say it is a, it's like a window 
into yourself, you know? It is this opening, it's this path inward. It really is a practice that shows you um, who you are at your essence, right? So I guess what I would say is that what I know about yoga is that it's like a light, truly, in a lot of different ways, you know? Yoga is a light that shows you who you are in all of your corners, you know? Good, bad, average, mediocre, whatever. It shows you. It brings that awareness, you know? It teaches you. And then, you know, so many times just having awareness is the solution to the problem, to any problem you might have, right? Just gaining a little bit of awareness can already have solved so the dilemma much. in your mind, you know? I think that's what it is. I really do. I think that's what I know about yoga today. You know, that'll change. But it's this, this concept of essence, who you really are, you know? When you strip away all the layers, everything, including physical, mental, emotional bodies. It's just you. Okay, so I'm going to push up against that first question again that I yes. asked you about who you are. And what what is yoga's mirror back to you? Hmm. I think it shows me... Well, it's a good question. But I think it... <laughs> I should spend some time with this question because it's important. But I think that mostly... I, my gut is telling me to just say that it shows me that I'm a teacher. Simple as that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. It reflects back you're a teacher. Mm -hmm. I want to think about that. If, if yoga is a light to expose me and I want to think about like, what does that mean in my practice? For sure. I'm kind of curious <laughs> what I'll come up with. And also a little scared. For sure. But you know, it's also interesting side note that is important is that like, even though it is this reflection, I think where, you know, you might see different things about yourself than I see about myself. It's, I do think, and this is where this becomes more subjective and this is my interpretation of the practice. Someone else's can be different. That's great. But I do think that that reflective process, that, that thing that you end up seeing when you're in it is, you know, oneness, sameness, because that's huge. That's really big. Well, it comes back to the definition of union. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's full circle like that. And it's awesome. It's exciting for us as a people, you know, to just to know that and to see each other differently. That's big. Is there anything else you want to say about yoga? And what it's been to you. I don't want to transition us before you're ready if you're like, there's this one point I didn't make that I really want to make. No. I hope people try it. <laughs> I hope yeah, if you haven't, it. try it. And just know that, like, there are so many flavors of yoga and so many different teachers that, with different methods and different words that might. So if you take a yoga class and it doesn't connect with you right away you know you can try so many different kinds you know so many different forms and teachers and yeah I love that you said that I don't know if the statistics are still true but I remember when I was in grad school they the the statistic at the time was that in order for a person to find a clinician who could really help them the average was that they would have visits with six people that they fired before they found someone that hmm. they liked, you know? And the idea was don't give up on therapy because maybe the chemistry isn't right with that person that you're starting with right. or, you know, it doesn't jive. Mm -hmm. And it takes an average of six. So it kind of makes me wonder. And one of the things I like about yoga is that, you know, they say there's something for everyone in yoga. Yeah. And so if that's true, that there's something for everyone, then there's a teacher for everyone, too. Oh, for sure. So if you get into a class where it's like, 
this is not my danger. <laughs> and it, happens, we, it, yeah. it does. We've all been there. There's that message of don't don't give up. Your your teacher is out mm-hmm. there. Keep keep cycling through because there's something for everybody. Right. It's it's interesting because I often find myself wondering like what about there are some people you know when I interact with them or my stepdad for example he will not do yoga he does not like it he wants nothing to do with it there's a lot of people out there who are like no I just really don't like yoga and I'm like okay (laughs) I can I can be open to that but I just think it's interesting I just I mean it's a bigger question about life I guess right my Okay, one of my leading philosophies in life, for what it's worth, is that what works for me doesn't have to work for you, and yeah. vice versa. Super right. simple, right? So I'm always trying to remind myself, but I do think it's funny how yoga can mean literally the world to me, and then to, it's to someone else, it's nothing. There's absolutely not. No yoga. Right. <laughs> but doesn't it make you curious, right? Like, what's their... I mean, I'm sure their life is great, and they have nuggets of happiness and fulfillment and from doing something else i just find it so interesting you know where does the yoga apply to it's just do you see what i'm getting i do Uh uh-huh there's a lot of different ways to live this life yes there are Mm. so many yeah so we're going to close today okay with the questionnaire by bernard pivo might be before your time my favorite interview show of all time is Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton. Okay. And he closes every interview with an actor with this questionnaire. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So what's your favorite word? Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, let's go with it. What's your least favorite word? Interesting. Really? Even though I say it all the time. Well, now I kind of am curious about that, so we have to pause the questionnaire. What is it about interesting that's a problem for you? Because... Have you seen Captain Fantastic? No. You need to see it. It's an amazing movie. Um, as they say in that movie, interesting is a non-word. It's like a, it's like an excuse of a word, right? I say it very often. That's I think why, I do too. That's why I'm trying to break myself of the habit because a lot of times I'm saying interesting instead of actually thinking about an articulate, meaningful response. It's like this way of... It's not like I'm not engaged, but it's not... You could try harder yeah, for totally. a deeper word. Exactly. Especially for a writer, that's probably an important yeah, thing. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Um, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Anything exotic, I think. Travel, exotic foods, exotic music. That gets me going, for sure, in a lot of different ways. Just that feeling of um, something that's unfamiliar. It turns you off. Um, let's see. TV. The TV. <laughs> That's a good answer, actually. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? I love the ocean. I have a wave tattooed on me. <laughs> I love it. It's, um, it's like, it's everything for me. I love that noise. And I also love morning doves. They are my mom's favorite, I should say. I remember them from when I was five laying in their bed listening to them morning does mm-hmm. what sound or noise do you hate tv i don't know why i'm being such a hater on tv right now but <laughs> tv you know that sound of just like white noise news in the background headlines and stuff just like blasting you with things that you really don't need to hear it's, that's i don't like that noise what profession other than your own would you really like to attempt I wish I was a painter sometimes. Mm. Yeah. That sounds very romantic. Right? Yeah. I think so, too. I have this, these fantasies in my head of being, like, this painter and overalls and just, like, living in this awesome studio apartment. It's totally cinematic. But it's there. I wish I could channel yeah. my creativity <laughs> into, like, colors and stuff, but it does not end well. I've tried. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Probably anything related to numbers. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Maybe he wouldn't say anything at all. Maybe he would just smile. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Devin. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Of course. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears. And we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>